Again, good morning. Hey, if I've not met you yet, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here at the Center Church. And uh, I was driving up from Indiana last night, and none of what just fell this morning was here. So I don't know if I brought it or you brought it. Regardless, I'm glad you're here safely. And uh, I'm glad that the roads are getting clear somewhat. It's December 1st, which is wild to even think about that. Uh, But we're starting a new series, and there's a lot of good stuff we're going to cover in this new series called Wonder, kind of rediscovering worship and awe and wonder in our Christmas season. But uh, I just was thinking about something earlier and and curious what you think, and you don't have to answer out loud if you don't want to, though if you want to go for it, you can. I I was curious as we were sitting through this service, does what we just did up until right now really matter? Some of you are saying yes. I would say in general, we all would agree. Uh, let me ask the second layer of that question. Not just does it matter, like eternally significant, is it or not? But, but the question, does worship change you and I? Is there something about it that actually transforms us? And so many of us, maybe you've been around a church for a while, uh, that's a question I've wrestled with a lot. Is worship just kind of a bonus to everything else we do, or is it actually a part of what we're doing. And how we answer that very, very simple question has profound impact on the rest of our life. Not just this 60-minute window, though it does impact that as well. It actually impacts every single thing you and I will do this Christmas season. It has the power to change families. It has the power to redirect priorities and redirect our time and our resource. It has the power to transform us, even break us free from some of the most painful broken places of our hearts. Worship has the power to change us. And I've wrestled with the question before. Maybe you've got people in your life. Maybe you are the person that you think of. The question that's underneath that is, can people really change? Can people ever be different? Are you kind of born a certain way and then you just end up that way at the end of your life? Is there a a role that parents play? Is there a role that family plays? Nature versus nurture? We've probably all wrestled with that. How do people really changed. And I want to offer something in the Christmas story I think will actually not just impact your Christmas, which it will, but will impact the rest of our lives. And that's why we're really focusing on uh, worship in this new series called Wonder. And I'm I'm incredibly excited about it, Uh, not just because I used to be a worship pastor, which is true, not just because my family serves in worship ministry, which is also true, uh, but because I do believe worship has the power to deeply change your life. Again, not just this window, because maybe you're like, well, I'm not a singer, so what am I supposed to do? Like, Lindsay's good, and Mal's good, and the band's awesome, but I'm just kind of here. I don't really know what to do with myself. Do I move my body? What am I supposed to do? But the answers to those questions are actually found in the Christmas story. They're actually maybe somewhat hidden, but as you dig in, you can kind of find them in this story. And I would invite you to turn right away to your Bibles in Luke 1. If you've got a Bible there, we'll have some of the scripture on the screen. Not all of it will be on the screen. Uh, If you have a device, you can pull that out. If you can Google something with your phone, you can find it that way. Luke 1, we're actually gonna start in verse 68. Luke 1, 68. I love what Mal read over us just a few moments ago. And if you took Latin like I did in high school because I was an idiot, or you grew up in the Catholic Church by any reason, uh, you may remember this section of scripture that Mal read is actually what they call the Magnificat. It's like this, this merry song. It's a moment of worship in the Christmas story. I love what she read over us. But as you follow up in Luke 1, starting in verse 68, Zechariah, a man who had wait, who'd been longing and waiting for the Messiah, who had been fasting and praying, 
who had prophesied, who had been full of the Holy Spirit and really longing for God to come back and restore his people, when he hears the news of Jesus being born, this is the song that he sings, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people. He's redeemed them. He's raised up a horn, an emblem, if you will, of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham and to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. It's just one of, of four songs in Luke's gospel that, that kind of paint the picture of what's happening in the Christmas story. Mary's song is one of them. What we just read, Zachariah's song is one of them. The angels sing a song, which we're going to look at in a moment. And Simeon, another guy in this story, sings a song as well. But the word worship, this moment of worship, you see Mary's response of worship. You, you kind of sense Zachariah, Simeon, the angels. Worship comes from an old English word literally made up of two other words. Worship is the combination of worth and ship. Worth-ship, ascribing worth to something, saying that uh, whatever I'm worshiping is worth my worship. And in the old English, that idea had to do primarily with king and, and kind of I don't know, servant relationships, if there's a better way to put that. I mean, that was kind of the relationship. It was pledging allegiance. It was surrendering your life to someone else. Worthship, worth, you're worth it. And when we worship together, what we just did is saying, this is what you're worth to me, God. God, you're worth this. You're worth my singing. You're worth my awkward hand motions. You're worth my giving. You're worth my prayer. You're worth my time. I mean, even the fact that you're sitting in these seats proves that a little snow doesn't scare you because you live in Byron Center, Michigan, or this area, and you're like, I can make it to church. I'll be just fine. Uh, even the fact that you decided to do that over a lot of other things, including staying warm, shoveling, shoveling some more, watching a Yule log on Netflix, whatever you do at your house when it's cold and you need to get cozy, all those things you decided were less important than being here. That's worship. It's a decision because, God, you are worth it to me. What is God worth to you? When it comes to awe and wonder, our, our answer to that question frames everything else. And so as you keep going in the story, turn to Luke 2. If you've got it in your Bibles, you see it's directly after what we just read. Luke 2, verse 13. This is what we see in this, in this Christmas story. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor, his blessing, his presence rests. Worship. You see it again. The, the angel's response even to their own declaration that the Messiah had come is worship. It's glory. It's ascribing worth to God over a lot of other things. And one of the things that strikes me about what Mal read in the Magnificat, Mary's song, is that Mary is like a 13 or 14-year-old girl. Now, if you've got a daughter in the room, picture, she comes to you and she says, hey, just so you know, I was laying in bed one night, I was minding my own business, and God came to me through an angel and said, you're gonna get pregnant. That's not weird to anybody else. That is a weird announcement. Like, I'm just picturing if I have a daughter, I'm like, 
Okay, we have a lot of other conversations that are about to happen after this one. But yet what happens is Mary's response is at first fear. It's, it's a little freaked out, which is normal, okay? If God came to you through an angel and said, by the way, the Holy Spirit is going to impregnate you. You're going to carry a child. It's going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but don't fear. I think you'd be afraid, right? There'd be some moments of, of trembling, yet her response is worship. She sings a song. That's weird. And that's kind of odd when it comes to the story. And yet all of these four songs are responses to God's revelation, the response that he's about to do a new thing, that what they've been waiting for is actually found. It's latent within this, this Christ child. It's an incredible response. But are these songs, just like the song we sang a few minutes ago, are these just bonuses? Are they just kind of sprinkled in like, oh, if you like singing, you should sing them. Like, is that really all that they are? I can think about a few songs in my life, maybe like your life, that have been really powerful to me, that have been profound, that have actually, I think, shaped me. If you have like a worship song or, or some kind of song, maybe it's Bon Jovi or something else that's like really influential, just kind of raise your hand. Have you had a song that's really impacted you like at a soul level? Yeah, almost all of us in the room. Like there are songs that have a way of not just being nice melodies, but actually changing us actually shifting who we are, actually shifting our identity. One of those songs for me is a song I actually learned here called Open Space. The song Open Space just kind of is really, really simple. Lyrically, it's very easy to catch on to. A couple years ago when I first heard it and we started singing it here at Center, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it was starting to mess with me internally. See, I shared this a few weeks ago. I'm a bona fide control freak. I'm sure I'm the only one, but just sympathize with me for a moment, okay? I love to control things. I like to feel like I've got power and that I've got authority and I can make things happen, which obviously is counterproductive to following Jesus. It's counterproductive to, to a pledging your life to him and your allegiance to him. And so when I first sung that song, I was like, man, this song is so lame. All it talks about is like open space and make me like Jesus and change me. I don't want any of that stuff. I want to change myself. I want to control myself. And we sang it again. Then a couple weeks, we sang it again. Then like a year later, we sang it again. And we sang it a few months after that. And what started to happen was God began to work on my heart. He began to break up the soil of that control, the need to be in, the, in power, to have authority, to manipulate relationships or make things turn out the way that I think God should do them to kind of control the outcomes of following Jesus. And he started to open my heart to that. He started to open my, my own space in my soul to that. It started to change me. And that song, when I hear it, is a reminder of that work he's doing. Not that it's done, but that the surrender, the daily decision to lay my life down for the sake of his kingdom, it's a choice. And that song has kind of rung in my head as I'm journeying through that process. There's probably songs like that for you. Maybe it was a hymn that kind of got lodged in your heart. And you just remember the moment where that song articulated scripture, articulated truth in a way that you didn't have words for. And when you sing it, that's a reminder to you of what God is doing. Maybe there's a song we sing here on a Sunday morning. You're like, oh my goodness. If, if Brandon gets up here and does that song, I'm going to cry. Like I'm going to weep. I'm just going to sit here and be a mess because there's something about it. 
that connects with what God is doing in your heart. Maybe you hear a song on the radio, or maybe it's a song you wrote, or you're a, you're a poet, and as you're writing, it's just something that moves you to the core. Songs have a way of changing, of transforming us. And here's what's true, is that as we see in the Christmas story, we change when our worship changes. We change. When, when the direction of our worship becomes jesus Focus, Jesus centered, we actually become different people. Because here's what's really scary we all worship something. Every single one of us. Now, some of us choose the object of our worship. We say, God, you are the most important thing. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to direct my life your way. I'm going to direct my resources and my relationships to you. And others of us, we just worship things that we're not even aware. We worship our job, all of our, all of our time, our energy. Uh, the, the late nights, the sleepless nights, all of the stress, all the worry is focused around a job. And we end up worshiping that. It's not even that we know. And it never delivers, right? You can keep getting better at your job and keep feeling less and less satisfied. Maybe it's a relationship for you. It's a, it's a marriage. It's a kid. It's a future relationship you haven't experienced yet. And your life is consumed by that. And by the end of it, once you actually get the relationship or once you go to the conference or get enough counseling, you think, okay, I've arrived. I've found it. Finally, I can find joy and satisfaction. It will change me. And yet, it also doesn't deliver. But here's what disciples of Jesus do. We choose to worship God intentionally. We decide, I worship something, and I'm going to choose to orient and direct my entire life to you. Above every other priority, I'm going to let you organize what I value the most. I love what Frank Beale, who's an author and theologian, says right about what we're talking about. He writes that what people revere, what they worship, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. That's just true. What people revere, what you worship, what you orient your life towards, ultimately you end up looking just like that. Sometimes that's Jesus, sometimes that is uh, material things, sometimes that's pursuit of success, sometimes it's performance, sometimes it's control, sometimes it's power, sometimes it's wealth. And you're gonna end up looking like that thing. But if we choose to resemble Jesus and to revere him, to worship him, we end up having our lives restored to way, the ways they were always supposed to be. Our relationships begin to look a little bit more like him. Our, our time begins to become more reflective of what he values and what is a priority for him. It's really the difference between uh, what scholars and, and good minds that are much smarter than me would describe as omnipresence, which is kind of God is everywhere, right? If you're a Christian in the room or even if you're a skeptic in the room, you may acknowledge, yeah, I, God is everywhere. I believe that God or some kind of other being exists. That's omnipresence. There's a difference between that thing and, and what scholars and thinkers would describe as manifest presence. The fact that God can be real to you in the room, that a Sunday morning is not just, man, I'm glad that God is somewhere, but that God is here. It, it's the moment, and you've probably had moments in worship you can sing like two or three songs. You're like, those are good songs. Like that was a nice melody. And then there's the one song where you're like, this is speaking to me. This, this is giving language and, and communicating something God is doing in me right now. It's the difference between, yeah, God's real and God is real to me. Manifest presence. When we talk about worship, there's such a vital, and I'm preaching the choir because you're actually, you're in the room. 
but they're such a vital element to showing up on a Sunday morning because you and I can worship really well Monday to Saturday. And some of us do. We have rich devotional lives. We, we read our Bibles. We engage. We're in a group. We're giving. We're serving other people. We're sharing our faith. We're inviting people to church. We're doing all the things that you kind of look as external markers of someone who's growing in Christ. But maybe you show up on a Sunday. It's like, I don't really even know why I'm here. Like, I kind of checked the box, or maybe I grew up thinking Sundays are for church, and so I just still show up. I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. I don't connect with the music. I John's half good some of the time. Like, I'm not really even interested in what's happening. I'm just here. And there's no life in it. There's no expression in it. But friends, there is something absolutely critical to you showing up. Because when you're here, here's what happens. I've had moments where I sit in that chair, which I am a person of habit, so I pretty much sit there all the time. And I sit there and I worship and we're like two or three songs in and nothing is connecting with me. And maybe there's even stuff we sing. This is maybe bad to say. There's things that we sing. I'm like, I'm not sure if I believe that about God. I've got some doubts about that. Uh, that's not been my experience yet. But then I look across the room or I look behind, or I hear behind me, someone just singing and worshiping. Their hands are up. They are fully bought in. They believe what they're singing. Here's what it does. It gives me hope. It encourages me. There's a, there's a piece of me that's like, maybe I do believe that. Maybe I haven't fully experienced it yet, but I believe that could be possible. Maybe when they say, God, you can, you can have my heart, or I'm gonna surrender to you. You are the king of kings, that you reign above every single thing in this world. Pain, heart attacks, problems, issues, control, authority, sin. Maybe at that time, I'm not experiencing that, but joining together, the reason I keep showing up to this is because I need you. I need you to sing to me. I need you to sing over me. I need you to believe it when sometimes my heart doesn't believe it. I need you to be like, that's true because you've lived it, even in moments where I have not lived it. And that's true for me. It's true for you. That's true for all of us. And yet, uh, consistently, disciples of Jesus will make this gathering less and less important. It's actually a little bit alarming. A study came out about a week ago from Barna Group, who does Christian research and studies churches around the world. Uh, they reported recently that 44% of Christians say that attending church, attending a worship gathering is not an essential part of their faith. And that's not me like arguing for more people to show up on a Sunday. That's me saying, oh my goodness, 44% of our Christian community of the capital C church is missing out on some of the best parts of being a Christian the best parts about being in faith. Because friends, if you and I are isolated, we don't actually believe stuff. We will choose to drift. And I've got friends who were part of a church, they were serving, they were involved. And then they started to have some, some disillusionment, some problems, some pain and suffering. They decided, yeah, I don't think the church is for me anymore. And here's why that's so alarming is because it's precisely in your worst moments that the church is made for you. That's why you should be here. It's like to literally run away from God's presence when you need him the most is the opposite of productive. It's the opposite of helpful. We change when our worship and commitment to worshiping Jesus changes. That's why I love the Christmas story. It's like it's a community story. It's together. Do you think if Jesus wanted to write an autobiography of himself and hand deliver it to the, these writers, he could? Like, do you actually believe that? Yeah, most of us would be like, uh, yeah, Jesus could probably pull that off. He figured out the death to resurrection thing. I think he could hand deliver a message. Like, 
that would be clear. And yet he doesn't do that. He lets these guys write and by his Holy Spirit, it's a community effort. It's a story. And Luke, who's a doctor, who's a detail nerd, who's really, really bent on getting this story accurate, still writes about the community. Mary's singing. Shepherds and angels are singing. Zechariah sings. Simeon sings. It's all of these different characters at work. It takes all of us. That's why showing up and being here and worshiping together and committing to to being in God's manifest presence with one another actually has the potential to change us, to transform us, to make us new people. We get things from these gatherings that we would never get outside of them. It's encouragement, it's hope, it's it's faith, it's motivation to keep going, to press on, to, to know that there's better days ahead. The best is not behind you, it's yet to come. It's the gathering that makes that so critical. I've had people in my life, and many of you have people in your life who maybe have wrestled with alcoholism. And for some of you, it's a painful thing. Maybe it's something that God is working on you in right now, or he's freeing you in, which is incredible. But if you notice that no one goes to AA by themselves, there's always a community of people there. There's a group, maybe it's only a couple, maybe it's a really big group. Uh, They always have a sponsor. You've got someone to journey with you because you can't break the power of addiction, of brokenness, of pain, even in your own life by just doing it on your own, by saying, man, I'd really like to work on that. I'm gonna take the next year and just work on that because without accountability, without encouragement, that stuff doesn't actually change, which is the value of worship. I've been... uh, quite honest about my TV watching habits with you in the past. So you say that's fair. So two and a half years later, I'm still talking about what I watch. But one of the things that is really interesting to me is that Lindsay and I don't have a lot of shows, you know, like maybe as a couple or you got a couple friends who gather and they watch the show. How many of you like did that with Lost? Remember Lost? Like you, okay, perfect. You had like a friend group. You're like, guys, come on over. It's Lost time, which you spent nine years of your life committed to, which is ironic. But it's just funny. Uh, Shows like that have a way of gripping our hearts or at least our attention on some level. But one of the shows that Lindsay and I try to kind of watch religiously is This Is Us. And she shared about the show before. Uh, We are totally like, give me that emotion. Like, bring it on. Like, some of you are like, I don't watch it because it's a cry fest. That's why I watch it, because I like feeling like I'm warm and fuzzy on a Tuesday night. Like, I like that. You may not like that. I like that. And so we've been watching it pretty faithfully over the last, so we were catching up on a couple episodes the other day, and this scene I'm about to show you popped up. I began to watch it and begin to immediately think about the power of community, the power of worshiping together in this clip. Why don't you check it out? Hey, uh, you should come to Philly with me for Thanksgiving. I know the family would love to see you. I could do that. Yeah? Yeah. Hey. You're a good kid. Good boy. 
What I think is so powerful about that small scene is Kevin, who's wrestled with alcoholism, Nikki, his uncle, who's the other person in the car, who's also wrestled with alcoholism, they go to AA together. But Kevin is wrestling with all these demons from his past because what happened in his past is his dad, who's pictured there, Jack, passed away as a result of a house fire. And what Kevin needed most was to hear his father say, you're a good kid. You're all right. You're going to make it. You're fine. And, and what happens is God uses Nikki, his uncle, to say the words that he desperately needed to hear, to affirm the identity he really, really wanted to believe was who he was, to, to hear his dad speak over him, you're a good kid. That's what worship is. Worship is sometimes someone else giving voice to what the Father's saying to you, what the Father's speaking over you the potential that you have, the ability you have to become a new person. So today, what in you, what is it? What needs to change? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's some unresolved conflict in a relationship. Maybe it's a habit or a pattern that you know is destructive. It's eating you alive and you wish you could break free. Maybe it's pain from a lost family member. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's a distortion you've believed about yourself that you need to be set free from. What needs to change? Because here's what I know. If we don't change our worship, we don't change our environment, we are powerless to change ourselves. We don't have enough willpower in us to make that happen. It's Jesus. If you want freedom, you want deliverance, you want true and lasting healing, he is the only one who can make that a reality for you, who will go to bat for you, who, who is for you, who infinitely loves and cares and has compassion for you. If, if your worship doesn't change, you probably won't change. It's the same reason that every time someone walks into McDonald's with the best intentions, they end up not buying a salad. You ever found that? Like how many of you just like, yeah, I'm in the drive-thru. I'm like, boom, today's the day. Caesar salad with a side of kale. That's what I'm going to get. And you're like, I'll have a Big Mac and Dr. Pepper and a big fry. Thank you. And like pull right up or they know your order. That's pretty bad. It's the same thing. Like the environment has not changed. McDonald's still cranking out burgers and fries and your life will keep cranking out the exact same things over and over and over unless you change your environment. Unless you prioritize worship and Jesus' presence, your Sunday morning experience, your Christmas will stay exactly the same if we do nothing to change or ask Jesus to break in or open us up to experience a different kind of worship. On the flip side, if this does change, if your worship begins to change and shift and mold and you continue to make Jesus the center and the focus of your worship, you and I will experience true and lasting change. We will be different people. It's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that if you are in Christ, you become a new person. He doesn't say a repaired person. He doesn't say a better version of the you you currently are. He just says, you'll be new. You have a new heart. You have a new soul. You'll have a new mind. You'll, you'll be different than you were before. Worship has a way of giving us that newness. And so what I want to do is pray over you. And then we're going to sing a song. I'm going to give you a challenge as we sing that song. But I want to pray over you because you know that if we don't do, if we have this whole conversation, we journey through Christmas, we talk about these Christmas worship songs, everything's exciting, and then we move on from what God wants to do in us, 
things will probably stay the same. Your Christmas may be uh, just a nice mix of bad family dynamics and really weird food and everything else you may be already experienced at Thanksgiving. It may be something that's stressful and brings you worry and stretches your budget and makes you anxious. Or Christmas this year could be different. It could just be focused on prioritizing, prioritizing Jesus' presence, worshiping Him, experiencing the rest and the peace and the blessing that comes from being in a right relationship with God. And so I want to invite you just to close your eyes as a way to focus. I want to pray over you. And maybe as you're sitting here today, you're like, yeah, that, that's me. There's some stuff in my life I need, I need Jesus' help to change. I want Him to transform. I want Him to, to make it new. I want my worship to be different this Christmas. If that's the work you're asking God to do this morning, I want to encourage you real quick because I want to pray specifically and directly for you. If that's you, just, just throw your hand up real quick and I want to pray over you. Yeah, hands all over. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. So Jesus, in this moment, we do ask that, that our worship will be different this Christmas. That our songs and our prayers and our encounters with you, they'd be different. That you'd make them new. Because there are things in our life we want to be different. We want them to be changed. We need them to be transformed. So we're giving them over to you, Jesus. Thank you that the power of the cross, the power of Christmas, is that you didn't leave us alone to change ourselves, but you stepped in. You made a way. You proved that there was a path to wholeness and redemption. And it's through you. So we thank you for that. We worship you for that. You are worthy of our time and our affection and our singing today. In Jesus' name.